Amen. If you'll remain standing now as we share in God's good word together, these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 5, verses 1 through 12. Will you share with me in God's word together? When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We've been in this sermon series the last few weeks called In the Footprints of Jesus, and we've been, we've been learning about the places that Jesus actually walked, those, those places he actually existed in the Son of God, and we've been learning about these, these places, these locations, and, and, and what that actually means in our lives. And tonight, I want to talk about the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons that Jesus ever gave, one of the most powerful teachings that he ever taught, this Sermon on the Mount. But before we get to that, I, I want to ask a question, and, and, it, and it sounds kind of strange, but just bear with me for a second. But are our lives any different because of our faith? Are our lives any different because of our faith? Does the way we do things, is the way we exist in this world, our decisions, is any of that altered because of our faith in Jesus Christ? And then not only that, but is our world any different? Is your community any different because of your faith? Is it because of your faith that those things around you have changed? I think our faith has the power to do that. I think our, our faith has the power to do that, not necessarily our religion. I think religion is a very interesting thing. That what Jesus offered us when, when Christ came to this world, when the Son of God came and existed and dwelt among us, when He came to this world, He offered us faith. He offered us this opportunity to have a one-on-one relationship with Him, to, to, to seek directly to the Father through the Son that we might have that relationship with Him. But many of us feel more comfortable in a religion Sometimes we form these religions and, and, and there's these efforts within a religion to try to kind of distance ourselves from God, to, to put up these walls and these barriers, these hoops we have to jump through, these things we have to affirm or say, these things that we have to do. We, we want to build these barriers around us so that we don't have to have this one-on-one relationship because 
Sometimes it makes us feel, well, a little uncomfortable. But what we find throughout our lives, what we find in the Gospels and what we find in our own lives is that our faith has the power to change this world. Our faith has the power to change this world. Not our religion. Religion can be a dangerous thing, and I, and I think it's one of the things that Jesus talked about the most. That Jesus spent most of his ministry, most of his life, undoing the damage that had been done by religion. In the time of Jesus, there was what was known as building a hedge around the Torah. That, that in, in, in the Jewish culture in this time, they they would be given the Torah, the people would be given the law, the teachings, and, and when they were given these law, these teachings, they would do what was called build a hedge around them. So that whenever they were given a teaching, when they were given a law, such as don't go into this place, right? In the temple, one of, one of the holiest places uh, in Jewish culture, the, the temple, within the center of that temple, what was called the Holy of Holies. This place believed that God dwelt in this place, and it was very important that, that only the right kinds of people went into the Holy of Holies. And so whenever they heard this word, when, when they learned that only a certain amount of people were supposed to go into the Holy of Holies, they, they built a hedge around that. And so they said, well, to make sure that you know, none of the wrong people go into that Holy of Holies, we're, we're going to build a hedge around that. We're going we're to make sure that nobody even gets close to it. And so only the right people can, can stand in the gallery, in, in the worshiping space of the temple. And then only the right kinds of people can stand on, on the outside of the temple. And, and further and further until they built this hedge around this Torah. They built this hedge around the temple. They built this hedge around God. They put distance between themselves and God. And they built a religion. And so Jesus came in his ministry, and he came as the Son of God to undo this damage, to offer faith to the people, to offer this relationship, this opportunity to be one with God. Jesus offers this to the people. And, and this all comes to a head in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the beginning of what we read out of Matthew chapter 5. And I think it's interesting how this begins, that, that notice when Jesus began to deliver the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't go into the synagogues to teach it. Right? When Jesus is giving holy teachings, he doesn't go into the synagogues. That in fact, the last time he was in a synagogue was in Nazareth, his hometown. And when he went there to go teach about the kingdom of God, when he went there to teach about this, this new relationship that he had to offer, they tried to kill him. They took him out to the edge of a cliff and they were getting ready to throw him over that he might die. So the last time Jesus went to the synagogue, it didn't work out very well for him. And so when Jesus came to give his greatest sermon, when it, when it came time for him to deliver this teaching, he didn't go to the synagogue. He went to a mountain. And all of these people started to gather around him. All, all of these people who had come to hear his teaching gathered around and he began to teach. And he started with what is called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes comes from a Latin noun, and, and, and it means blessing or happiness. And, and, and Jesus starts his teaching, and he, and he said, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. For they will receive the kingdom of God. 
Now notice what Jesus says in, in this Sermon on the Mount. Notice he, he doesn't give any prerequisite. There is no requirement for the poor, the, the meek, the weak, the, the persecuted. There's no requirement for them to receive the kingdom of God. It's already happening for them. When, when Jesus stood up to give the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't make sure the right kinds of people were standing around. Right? He didn't go around and, and, and check IDs and make sure these people were from the right town, from the right place. And when he delivers this sermon, he doesn't say, blessed are, are the poor who, who say a certain prayer. Blessed are the poor who, who go to this place or are from here. Blessed are the meek who have the right kinds of friends. No, it's offered to all that they might receive the kingdom of God. Jesus starts his greatest sermon with what was perhaps the most controversial words in his time, that these people might actually receive the kingdom of God. You start to understand why he was almost killed for teaching this in the synagogues. Jesus delivers this powerful sermon, and he begins it by blessing those who are the weakest in society. He begins it by blessing those who were the lowest in their culture. Jesus begins his sermon in this way. And then he continues it, and, and, and he calls his followers salt. He, we read this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus tells all of his followers that you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. In, in Jesus' time, there was no refrigeration, right? In the ancient Near East, there, there was no ice around. And so if you were to bring in your catch, say if you were a fisherman, you, you would have to put it in the salt pile so that it might be preserved. And so Jesus calls his followers salt, I, I, I think, for two reasons. I think one reason is that he calls his followers salt so that they might preserve the earth, that they might preserve the world, that, that we as Christ's followers have the ability to save the world. That as Christians, when we watch the news and we see the travesty that happens, when, when we're talking with our friends or with our neighbors and we talk about the state of this earth, we should never just give up. Right? We, we should never just throw our shoulders up and say, oh, it's all lost. No, in fact, we are called to be the salt, to restore, to save, to be that agent that might actually have a chance to save this world. Jesus calls us salt so that we might save this world, but he calls us salt so that we might also stand out. So that we might also stand out. So another question to consider is, do your friends know that you're Christian? Do your friends know that you're Christian? I, I, maybe a better question is, did they have to ask? Right? And then whenever you told them, were they surprised? Right? Was it like, Christian? Really? Like, that's not the kind of response that you want, but is it obvious by our life's work? that we follow the Son of God? Is it obvious that we follow the One who came and died for this world, that, that those in this world may not perish but have eternal life? Is it obvious by what we do and what we say that we follow Him? Do we stand out in this world as somehow different? 
When Jesus tells the Beatitudes, he, he, he talks about these, these blessed works. And, and whenever the Latin Vulgate, a different translation of the Bible came around, they, they titled these Beatitudes. And, and that Latin root of that word Beatitude is, it can also be translated as beautiful works. Beautiful works. Do you have those beautiful works that when others see it, they say, I want that. I, I want to do that. I want to be that. Whatever you have, I, I want it as well, that those beautiful works attract people to you. That you don't have to tell them that you follow Christ, that they can already see it in your life. Do we have those in our lives? So again, I ask you, is your life any different because you have faith? And is the world any different because you have faith. Jesus continues his sermon by not only calling his followers salt, but calling them light. We hear these words a lot. We, we read these words descending forth every uh, evening and morning here in worship. Jesus says to his followers in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, that you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Again, do we stand out? And do we shine light in the darkness? Now, now in order to shine light in the darkness, it, it means that we have to go to the dark places. It, it means we have to go to those places and, and not just assimilate. Not, not just be dark ourselves, but we actually have to be light in those places. And, and to be honest, that's going to make some people upset. That's going to make some people squint and, and just kind of look away. And, and, and that's going to that's ruffle some feathers, but we have to go and be light to those places. I don't know what that looks like in your world. I don't know where that is in your life. But in the life and time of Jesus, when he was called to do his ministry, his followers would follow him and, and, and they would proclaim Christ as Lord. And what that meant in, in this time is, in this time, the ancient Near East, most of which was occupied by Rome. And if you were under Roman occupation, you were under one of the greatest powers that the world had ever seen and one of the greatest military powers that the world had ever seen. And they were willing to do anything they could to keep that power. And in order to keep this power, many would proclaim in this time that Caesar was Lord, that the emperor was Lord. And if you didn't profess this, and in fact, if you professed somebody else as Lord, then you were threatened with death. And that in order for a disciple to shine light in the dark places, they had to sacrifice their very lives. That they might actually profess Christ as Lord. Where are the dark places in your life? Where are the dark places in your world? And does it look any different because of your faith? We, we are in this sermon series called In the Footprints of Jesus. And, and, and when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, there are many scholars who try to debate where Jesus actually gave this sermon. It, it was somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, we can be sure. And, and there's actually in Israel a, a church called the Church of the Beatitudes. 
Uh, we, we have a picture of it here. Um, it is, uh, now again, many scholars kind of debate about where this might be, but this is where Christian tradition holds that Jesus delivered this sermon. It, it's on a mountain, and Christian tradition has held this as the location of the Sermon on the Mount uh, since about 400 A.D. Uh, it's really powerful, a beautiful church. Uh, you can actually see the scenery. You see a beautiful garden, and again, uh, this is in Capernaum where Jesus did most of his ministry. Uh, when he was cast out of Nazareth, when uh, they tried to kill him, he just didn't want to go back. And, and so he uh, went into Capernaum where he did most of his ministry. And so uh, this kind of local town right here is where Jesus did most of that. And on the Sea of Galilee, you can really see uh, just about all the ministry that Jesus did. Uh, now, the, the church of the Beatitudes is, is a Catholic cathedral, and so because it is Catholic, they do kind of require modesty whenever you walk into the sanctuary. And so Chantel sent me a picture uh, of the shawl that she had to wear. Uh, you know, you can tell that she has sleeves on her shirt. It, it wasn't very scandalous what she was wearing, obviously, but she had to make sure that no part of her shoulders were showing. And so she had to wear the shawl to cover up to even walk in to the church of the Beatitudes. Uh, it's really interesting. And then on the inside of the church, you can see the altar there. Uh, now, you can, you can see the altar with the wood and, and the ark over it. And, um, you know, the altar in a cathedral in a Catholic uh, church is, is not much different from, from our altar here. Uh, our altar and their altar is where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's where we celebrate the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. And it's where we invite all to participate. We invite all to this meal that Christ has prepared for us. It's the Lord's table, and we invite all to it. But you'll notice in this picture, and, and if you can't see it, it's okay, but at the bottom of the picture, there's a rope and a sign hanging. And the sign reads, No Entry. I, 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 I just find this interesting that in a place that commemorates one of the greatest sermons that Jesus ever gave, and in this sermon in which he completely undoes all the damage that religion has done, that, that religion has made all of this separation between us and God, has built all of these barriers, all of these hedges, all of these things between us and God, this place that commemorates this great sermon by Jesus, and here we can't even get to the altar. That we put this cathedral, people have to cover up, they can't even get close to the altar, that we have done this thing. And this isn't just what this church has done. This is what we do in our very lives. We think, surely there's got to be more to it, Jesus. Surely there's got to be more than just, than just following you and just doing what you say. Surely, Jesus, we've got to put up some barriers. We've got to put up some rights, some rules, some order in this thing. Surely, Jesus, there's got to be more steps. And Jesus smiles at us and says, no. Follow me. Jesus calls us to have a relationship with him and put religion put buildings aside in fact jesus had some pretty interesting words to say about buildings uh in his life and time the biggest building uh in his life was the temple the holiest place of worship and in mark chapter 13 we read these words that when jesus came out of the temple uh, one of his disciples said to him look teacher these large stones, and what large buildings these are. And Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. There is no parallel that we can have. Maybe 
the White House. Maybe, maybe some just renowned building. And, and Jesus says, none of this matters. What matters is the relationship that I offer you. What matters is that I am here with you in your hearts, that I actually have an effect on your life, that when others look at you, they see you as salt, they see you as light, they see you as followers of my way. What matters is that the world is changed by your faith. So I ask you, is your life any different because of your faith? Is your world any different because of your faith in Jesus Christ? Throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus constantly goes up on a mountain. And, and, and most of the time he does this, he does it to spend time with God. He, he, he does it to be in prayer, to be in secluded relationship with God. And, and if Jesus, being the Son of God, being the one who was fully God and fully human, if Jesus spent so much time alone with God, if he did that, how much more do we need it? And it doesn't matter that he just went up on a mountain, right? It doesn't matter where he was located as much as that he did it, as much as that he spent time with God. And for Jesus, it was on a mountain. And so I ask you, where is your mountain? Where is that place that you feel close to God? And when was the last time you were there? I actually have a picture of my mountain, which happens to be a, a, kind of a literal mountain, actually. Um, this is at Camp Egan in uh, Tahlequah, or just outside of Tahlequah, 29 Methodist Church Camps. And it's actually a place that um, I've grown up loving. Uh, at Camp Egan is where I spent um, my youth going to church camp over the summer. And I would always come up to this cross point and, and get to look out uh, over God's creation and, and just imagine how beautiful this was. Uh, church camp was actually where I cultivated my call that I felt God uh, was calling me into ordained ministry early on. And, and I felt like every summer at camp, God affirmed that call again and again and again. It was an awesome place to be. And especially in this moment, you just kind of look out and, and you just know that God is active in this world. Uh, this last weekend was actually pretty special for me because um, I got to go with our junior high campers to journey camp that was actually at uh, Camp Egan. Here uh, we all are now. And... Uh, it was an awesome experience to be with these campers and to be uh, with these kids in this place that I had grown up loving. And you see this love that they had for this campground as well. Uh, it, it was a special uh, time, not just because I got to go back uh, to, you know, one of my favorite places and, and be with these youth, but it was an awesome time to get to see what Christ calls a, a firm foundation. Each night we would have worship and um, the space in which we were worshiping w was kind of a, a small lodge, and, and, and it wasn't really designed very well for worship, and, and we would kind of face one corner of the room, and the band would be over there, and, and they would always have an altar in the sanctuary, but it, but it wasn't you know, kind of where you'd think it would be. It, instead of being in front of the band, the altar was actually kind of over here on the side. And so what that meant is that at the, at the end of worship, there would always be like an invitation given that if anybody needed prayer and if anybody just wanted to come and pray at the altars, that they were certainly welcome. And, and, and there would be these crowds of kids that would go and pray at, at the altar. And, and some of the leaders and pastors that were at 
camp, myself included, would want to go up and pray with these kids, but it was kind of difficult to get around all these kids and kind of hard to maneuver around them. And, and, and so the first night of worship went on like this, and, and I thought, well, you know, that didn't go just right, but maybe, you know, the next night will go better. And so uh, towards the end of worship, the second night, I, I, I had a plan, right? The, the, the pastor was going to give the invitation that if anybody wanted to come and, and kneel at the rails, they were certainly welcome. And, and before she could, I, I got up and I scooted around and stood uh, in front of the altar so that I could see all of the kids kneeling and, and see anybody who might need prayer. And to be honest, I felt kind of good about myself, right? I was, I was one of like three pastors at this camp, and, and I was pretty excited that, you know, uh, this pastor, myself, you know, I, I do have a Master's of Divinity, and, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited that I get to pray with these kids. And then the invitation was given, and, and, and these kids started to come and, and, and kneel at the rails. And, and what I saw was that these kids didn't need me to pray for them. That in fact, not one kid came up alone, that all of them brought friends, that, that all of them were praying with one another, that they were laying hands on one another, that, that they would ask another to go pray with them, and then one would get up and he would go back and he would go grab another friend and they would come and they would kneel at the rail and they would pray with one another again. It was a humbling experience and there is probably no greater feeling for a pastor than to not be needed. That to know that ministering has already been taken place, that to know that those who profess the Christian faith have already taken upon the roles of ministers of the gospel, that these kids, these junior high kids, none of them were older than 14, and here they were praying with one another holding one another, that they were sharing life with one another. I stood behind the altar. I closed my eyes and thanked God for this Christian faith that was being lived out in these young people. It's what Christ calls a firm foundation. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, uh, and he says these words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who's built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and great was its fall. Is your life any different because of your faith? Is your world any different because of your faith? Because, brothers and sisters, in Christ, the rains will come. The floods will rise and the wind will blow. And it will be in those moments that we will have the opportunity to see our faith in action. It will be in those opportunities that others can look at us and they will know who is our Lord. 
Is your life, is your world any different? Because Christ came, lived, taught, died, and rose again.